Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it is a blessing to be here with you. We sure appreciate the church's kindness. We've been on the road for quite some time. I, I like to travel as much as possible with my wife and my family. And uh, so it's a blessing to be able to bring them. We made it safely across the border. I told my wife before we got to the border, I said, now this is no joke. Okay, I said, put down cell phone. Don't be taking a picture of these folks. You know, don't be asking questions. And if they ask questions, don't answer them. Let me, I got this. Okay, I'm going to. And then we pull up there and they start asking me questions and she starts answering the questions. And I had to give her one of those side looks like, honey, we're going to be in a Canadian prison today if you don't stop this. So it is a blessing to be here. We thank you for praying us in. Our church folks have been praying uh, us in. And so we're just, man, what a blessing. What a blessing to serve the Lord. First uh, Peter chapter 1. I, I want to preach about a subject um, this evening that, I, in my estimation, it is either... Um, preached far too often in a wrong spirit or it's not dealt with at all and I was studying uh, for a Bible Institute class and and the Lord brought these passages across my attention and it helped me I think if if a passage of scripture will not help a preacher it's going to be hard to help somebody else so I'm going to ask Lord to help us uh, this evening first Peter chapter 1 verse number 1 the Bible says Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. I'm going to pass by this. This It's not what I'm preaching, but isn't that incredible? The world can't understand that. How can you love somebody you have never seen? And the Bible says if we can't love people we do see, we can't love somebody that we don't see. And yet the Bible says that we have a Savior that we have never seen. We've never set our eyes upon Him. Maybe by faith you'd say, I've I've looked upon Him by faith. But you've never seen Jesus. And yet the Bible says we've not seen Him, and yet we love Him. In whom, though now ye see Him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, because of all this, because of everything that we've just read in the context, Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I just want you to think about that for a while. Gird up the loins of your mind. To gird up something is to tie it off, as to not hinder you, as to not 
uh, keep you from accomplishing what the, the Bible talks about, girding up the loins, because the men would need to run or work or accomplish something. And so they would gird those things up. The Bible says you're to gird up the loins of your mind, to be sober. Man, if we need anything, we need sobriety. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy. And I want you to watch the wording. The, the words of God are so important. It doesn't say, but as he which hath called you has done holy. It says, as he is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And tonight, with the Lord's help for this next few moments, I want to talk to you about biblical holiness. What is biblical holiness? And there are groups, at least there are in the, in the states, there are groups that they're not existing a whole lot anymore, but groups that they would call holiness those are holiness believers. And the idea was they had certain standards and convictions. And, and I'm not against, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not against standards and convictions. But standards and convictions don't make you holy. Okay? There's something deeper than that that makes one holy that then moves to the outside and shows holy conduct. And with the Lord's help, we want to accomplish that this evening. Let's pray. Father, you know that I need you. Father, I am very inadequate and insufficient. Lord, that, that's, that's what all of us are. So, Father, I pray you'd use me this evening to be a blessing and a help to your people. That's what I've asked. Lord, I certainly want, for, first and foremost, I want to glorify you. That's my first calling. Well, Lord, it would be a blessing if I could glorify you and yet help people at the same time. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this evening over these next few moments and give us what we need, not what we want, not what we came for, but what we need. And I pray that you'd get the glory from it, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. Now, first of all, I, want, I, just, I think this is important as we start off. Uh, if you are not saved, if you have never put your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him for salvation, holiness is without reach. It's impossible. You, you, you might do good deeds. You might give money to charity, and you might... Uh, you might come to a church, you might give an offering, you might be nice to people, you might, uh, you know, let somebody out in front of you in the traffic. You might do all sorts of nice things, but if you're not saved, holiness is impossible for you. It's impossible, okay? And I think that's important because some folks think that if they join a church or get baptized or do certain things, then maybe it merits some level of uh, a favor in the eyes of God and God weighs all this in the balance and God says, okay, well, they've done more good works then they've done bad works. But the Bible says even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the best deeds that you've done in your life, if you're not saved, the best deeds of your life go in the bad column. You understand that? You say, well, that's unfair. No, what's unfair is that a holy God sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and the world rejects the gift. That's unfair. God's given everybody a way out of hell. I thank God for that. He's given everybody a way to know him and to fellowship with him. I thank God for that. But if you reject that, that's an insult to a holy God. And folks need to see that. People don't fear God anymore. But here's what I would say to you. There are three types of people. You'll see this in the scripture. One is a natural man. A natural man, it's basically he's of nature. 
He's, he's born in Adam, and that's all he is, okay? He's a natural man. Uh, let, let's turn to a couple of these. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I, I want to find the balance in turning to the Scriptures and, and at the same time moving through. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14, the Bible says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know. Do you see that? Neither can he know. That sounds like an impossibility, does it not? Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So when we talk about holiness and we talk about being holy or godly, and I say this at different places and sometimes I understand that what I'm getting ready to say is uncomfortable. But you understand the word godly means godlike. Not in the sense that you're on the level of a God, but it means you're striving to be like God, godly. Just like we, we call everybody that gets saved, sometimes we'll say, well, they're Christians. But really, Christian means Christ-like, okay? And so we're striving to be like the Lord, like our Master, like our Savior, like our God. The Bible says here that a natural man, he can't receive these things. They're so foreign to him. So I, I, I say that because if you come to church... Without the Spirit of God in you, and you're not saved, church sounds foolish. It really does. The Bible sounds foolish. When, when a preacher gets up and says, hey, uh, you know, husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Gave it. That's foolish. That's, that's so old-fashioned. That's so strange, right? To, a, to an unsaved person, what we're doing here seems odd. Okay? It seems awkward. Why would you do that? That's weird. Why would you give money to people to stand up and yell at you three times a week? That's weird, right? That's strange. That's unusual. It, it just seems awkward. And so the world looks at this and they don't understand what we don't understand them and they don't understand us. And I'm okay keeping it there. I don't want to understand. You, you know, the world's getting crazy. I don't want to understand what the world's doing. And so the natural man, he's unsaved. He cannot receive the things of God. So he certainly can't read Bible verses about holiness and say, that right there is what I'm going to implement into my life. Can't do it. Another one is the spiritual man. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. In other words, he said, I would like to talk to you all as spiritual believers, but I can't because you're not right now. These are believers. They're saved people. But they're not spiritual. When he's writing to them, he says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, listen to this, even as unto babes in Christ. There are things I would love to tell you, and there are things I want to help you with. I so desperately want to help you, but I'm having to give you milk and not meat because you're not ready to receive it. Then no doubt every one of you have had times where maybe you heard a sermon, you read a Bible verse, and it just it knocked you back. You thought, I can't receive that, and you walked away from it offended. Okay, wow, I can't believe the preacher would say that. That's harsh. Why would he say that? And you understand that may be an indication you're not spiritual, but you're carnal. You weren't ready for that truth at that moment in time. And, and listen, we expect that out of newly saved people, do we not? We expect them to be babes in Christ at the start. You don't get somebody brand new saved to say, now let's go through the dispensations real quick. Okay, that, I mean, you might, but that's crazy. Okay, that person's going to look at you like, what did I get into, right? Uh, sometimes you've got to give them a little milk before you give the meat. Uh, sometimes you've got to take a little time with somebody and grow them up in some basic things and then go there. But there are spiritual people, and spiritual people, they're saved, they're mature in their faith, and they're walking in the Spirit. 
The third category, none of us want to be this. If you're saved, okay, you're at least not the natural man. But we'd all love to strive to be the spiritual man. But the third one is, is the carnal man. And, and notice right there in that same verse, he said, I would love to speak unto you as unto spiritual, but I am speaking to you as unto carnal people. You know what carnal is? Uh, it's fleshly. It's somebody that's saved and in Christ, but walking in the flesh or after the flesh. Okay? It's not letting Christ lead me, it's letting my flesh lead me. Okay? Now, now there are people in our churches all across the world who are striving to be holy, but they're carnal. You say, well, that sounds weird. No, no, no. They're trying to keep up the standard of the church, but their hearts are not in it. They're looking at it like, I have to do this because if I don't do this, you know, this is going to happen to me or that's going to happen. The preacher's going to, you know, all sorts of, I'm going to upset my best friends at church or whatever the case may be. But in their minds, they're carnal in the heart. They don't understand. Why would I even do this? Who cares about this? It's not important. But they're going through the motions of outward holiness because they think that makes them holy. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, it's like this. We, we tell folks this all the time. You know, if you, you're coming to church and your heart's not right, you're not in the right spirit. I don't tell people, stay home. You know, if your heart's not in it, stay home. I don't do that. The idea is come. And maybe while you're there, the Lord will work on your heart. Okay? So if you're here and you're hearing what I'm saying, you say, you know what? You, you, got, you got me. My heart is not in it. I'm not telling you to become a rebel. I'm telling you to seek God for the heart part as well. That, that, that'd be the perfect way, right? Now, as far as uh, th these men, okay, we've got these, this nature that we had in us. And, and I, man, there's so many doctrinal debates on all this stuff. And you never know who you're going to offend and not offend and all that kind of stuff. But, but there's a nature that you have. We, the Bible calls it the old man. And the old man is rotten, okay? And even if you're saved, I wish, I wish, I wish this is the way the Lord would have written the Bible, but he didn't. For some reason, God did not consult me when he was writing the Bible. I really wish, I, I, there are times I wish he said, hey, do you like that? And I just said, well, that's a little rough. You know, you could lighten that up a little bit. But he didn't ask me. Obviously, he didn't value my opinion. Okay? But, but here's what I, would, I wish would have happened. When I got saved, I wish my old nature was just gone, totally, completely. Now, you say, well, it is. The old man's crucified. I understand in my position in Christ, that old guy is dead. Okay? He's a goner. But every morning I wake up, there he is. It's like this creepy, bad, imaginary friend that just won't go away, right? Uh, we killed him yesterday. Here he is again today. We'll kill him today. There he is again. This old nature sticks with us even after salvation. And that old nature wants bad things. Romans chapter 7 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible because it, the Apostle Paul let us know, here's this conflict I deal with. I've got this old man, this new man. I go back and forth. The things that I would, that I do not. And he's just like us. Come on, every one of us know that there are things that we should do that are right. And to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is. We know that. But then there's something inside of us that says, I don't want that. I want this other thing. Well, you don't need that. Yeah, but I want it. Okay, but it's bad for you. I don't care. I want it. But, but you don't need it. Okay, I know that. But for some reason, there's something in me that wants bad stuff. And you're just constantly wrestling with this. I think some people get discouraged because they think, well, that must mean I'm not saved. No, it, 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 
the fact that you're wrestling is a good indicator. Okay, because if you're not wrestling, you just got one nature in you, and that's not good. Okay, so, so we got this old man, the Bible talks about him. We could go to all sorts of passages, Colossians chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 4. A lot of good passages that talk about this. But when you got saved, there, there came a new nature in you as well. And that's why you've got this struggle. Because you got, it's like you're bipolar. Okay, I'm not diagnosing you, understand, I'm not trying. But, but basically, every saved person is basically bipolar. There is something in you that loves the Bible and craves it. And then there's something in you that wouldn't care if you didn't read it for two weeks. There is something inside of you that wants to go to church every time the doors are open. And then there's something in you that doesn't care if you miss here or you miss there. And I think sometimes people don't know, maybe I shouldn't tell this, but there are Sunday mornings I wake up and I don't want to go to church. Wouldn't that be horrible? Wouldn't that be bad? I mean, can you imagine our, my church there in Knoxville, Tennessee? Everybody shows up. You know, they're all there. And they say, where's the preacher? Uh, I don't know. He didn't call. <laughs> he didn't text. You know, he's like a normal church member, right? He just didn't show up and he didn't tell anybody. Can you imagine what they would do if I did that? Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be horrible, right? He didn't call. He didn't text. He's not here. What's going on? Did he die? Is he alive? Is he in the hospital? He must be in the hospital because he didn't call. He didn't tell us. He's supposed to teach Sunday school class. He's not here. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do, right? Can you imagine if a preacher did that? But do you understand that there are two natures in preachers as well? The same stuff you deal with. I think, I think God could have. He could have put angels behind pulpits. And they wouldn't have understood you. But he put men that do understand you behind the pulpit. So you can't say, oh, well, the preacher just doesn't understand. Oh, yeah, we, we get it. We get it. As much as you dislike us, sometimes we dislike you. Okay? I mean, it, it's a mutual agreement. We love you and hate you all at the same time, just like you feel about us. I promise, okay? I, I promise. Uh, it's just, it's just you, maybe I wasn't supposed to tell that. <laughs> I guess there's an unwritten book of rules I didn't know about. I just let a cat out of the bag. But here, here's what I want to get to, okay? If you're saved, you have everything in you to live and be holy. Everything. You don't have to wait until you get to some kind of, you know, the second blessing. One day I'm going to, you know, I'm going to attain to that level. Everything you need to be holy and live holy and do holy things and all this stuff is already there. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have a Bible that you can read and study and meditate on that Word. You've got a God that you can pray to and ask for help. In fact, He can... Let's go back. First Peter, I want to show you this. First Peter chapter 1, because I don't know that we notice it this way. I'm trying to be mindful of my time as well. But First Peter chapter 1, I... I think sometimes we don't read the Bible quite like we should. I'm speaking for myself. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 13, I want you to see this. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that's a commandment? Do you know what that means? That's not the Lord saying, hey, on the list of things I would recommend to you, this would be one of them. This is not the Lord saying, well, you know, if, you were, if you're willing to do it, I'd kind of like for No, that's not it. This is God telling you to do this. 
Do you see that? He says, wherefore, gird up. In other words, that means you're supposed to do this. And it's not up for discussion. This is not where God invites you to the table and says, hey, you know, okay, what's your opinion on it? I'll give you mine, you give me yours. No, God, don't take this the wrong way. Okay, Americans, are get, we're getting so finicky. I don't, I don't know if it's hitting Canadians. But we're finicky, and we get offended real easy. God doesn't care how you feel about this. He's just telling you what to do. You say, well, who does he think he is? Do I even have to say anything? You know who he is. He's the one that redeemed you. He's the one that saved you. He paid the ultimate price for you. The question is not who does he think he is. The question is, who do you think you are? Okay, so he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Man, we love to use that for our children, don't we? Looky there, the Bible says you're supposed to obey. Where do these children get their rebellion? Uh, maybe from us. Okay, he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves. Boy, that's, a, that's an interesting statement, right? Fashioning yourself, forming yourself, shaping yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance. He said, when you were ignorant. Back there, when you were ignorant, how you shaped your life. Don't do that again. Okay, don't go back to that. But as he which hath called you is holy. Here's a commandment. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written. Well, why do I have to do that? Because the Bible says. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, here, here's what I, this helped me. Maybe you've already got this. If you, if you do, sometimes it's not a bad thing to get a reminder, okay? So if you already know everything I'm about to say, okay, praise the Lord, God's given us a reminder. It's not a bad thing. But here's what I would say to you. When you think about living holy or being holy or godly, godliness or godly living, here's what I want you to understand. There, there are three parts to this. The first part is the state of being. The state of being. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and give you these and then I'll back up and explain them to you. The state of being. The second one is the act of doing. The third one is the joy of feeling. Now, you know what we all want? We want to feel holy feelings. And sometimes that's our aim, right? I want to feel holy feelings. I want joy, and I want peace, and I want contentment. And I, man, when the church service is, is going on and we're singing a song, I want the Lord to move in my heart. And I, I want to uh, feel overwhelmed and feel like I need to praise the Lord. I want holy feelings. But holy feelings are the, they're the result. They are the outcome, they're not at the first, okay? That's not what comes first. And, and by the way, doing holy things is not what comes first either. Will you look at the passage with me? Look at what verse number 16 says. Because it is written, be, be. Do you see that? That's just a little bitty word, isn't it? Be, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. Now let me ask you a question. Does God do holy things? Yeah, it's not a trick question. Yeah, okay. If you said, well, I don't know what to say right now. No, I'm not trying to trick you. Does God do holy things? Yes. Why? Because he is holy. Do you, do you, I want a light bulb. To, here it comes. Wow, wait a minute. Here I am trying to do the Christian life in my own strength. 
And I'm getting angry at myself and frustrated. I'm like the apostle Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this, the body of this death? I'm so frustrated with myself. And every time I try to do something good, something bad. Why? Because we're trying to do the right thing. But we're not first being, being holy. Do you see the difference there? Now, the, the Bible uses words like am and be and is and art and are to talk about your being, who you are on the inside. You understand this is a tabernacle. This is how you know me and this is now how I will know you. If we see each other, if when I see Pastor Carlson, I say, oh, that's Pastor Carlson because I see him and he looks like Pastor Carlson. But the real Pastor Carlson is inside that tabernacle. I don't really know what he looks like. Okay? I, don't, I can't see him. There's something inside of him that is the real him. You say, well, that, that sounds strange. No, you understand that because when you go to a funeral and there's a casket and there's a body in there, you understand that's not the person anymore. That person's either with the Lord or in hell. You understand that. That's just the, the house in which that person lived during this life. And so we, we're focused on this, but there's something deeper down inside there that's where we've got to start. Now, notice I didn't say finish. I said start. Okay? That's who you are. So here would be my question. Are you holy? Now, that's, that feels like a dangerous question to answer, doesn't it? See, positionally in Christ, we are holy because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I'm talking about practically. I'm talking about your daily life, the person, the inner being, inside that body that you're living in right now. Is that person holy? Man, that's tough. Because that deals with your thought life. See, I feel like, for me, for me, I, I feel like I, I feel successful if I don't outwardly go and do things that I know I'm not supposed to do. But what about inside? All this stuff going on in my mind and my heart that nobody ever knows about. Do you understand? I mean, if you, if you, were, to, if you were out in public, okay, and, and you, you're holding your wife's hand there, and, and, a, and a lady walks by, and you look at her inappropriately, outwardly, you and your wife know, no, that's awful. But what about in your mind? Where, where nobody knows what you just did. You understand? What I, the thoughts that just pass through. See, it's not about doing holy right now. We're talking about being holy. Inside of me, there is something that craves to be like Christ. And I am holy because He is holy. It's a commandment, guys. So, so you say, well, okay, is that, that the end of it? No, no, I told you there's also after that the act of doing. Turn with me if you want your Bible to... Um, uh, go, to, go to Matthew chapter 15. I've got several here I was looking at, but I think Matthew 15 will suffice. Matthew chapter 15. This really helped me, okay? I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't planning on it helping me. I wasn't looking for it to help me. I'm studying, trying to figure things out in the Bible because I think that's what we ought to try to do instead of just winging it or just you know, trying to feed off somebody else's studies. I think we all ought to get in the Bible and study. And so here I am trying to figure this out. And I, I think, Lord, I don't understand this. I can't figure it all out. And I just began to study. And it, it really, really changed my life to see these things. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 19. Notice this. It says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. 
These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man. In other words, inside of you, in your mind, heart, soul, sometimes I don't know how to differentiate from all those things. But inside you, in your inner being, every bad deed that you've ever done was hatched and planned and conceived inside. You didn't just do it. You say, well, I don't remember thinking through the process. That's how quickly the, the brain, the mind can transfer the thoughts to the, to the hands or, or whatever. The, these young people today have so much access to so much wickedness. And, and nobody may never know, or nobody's going to know. Nobody's ever going to find out. Look at what I can do. And nobody, I mean, back in the old days, you had to go somewhere bad, or you had to stay out late to go do something. You understand? It's so easy for people to sin today, and people never know. But, but here's the problem. That bad stuff doesn't start out here. It starts in here. And he just said these evil thoughts, these murders. You know, a guy murders somebody in cold blood. We say, that guy is a murderer. Yes, but he was first a murderer on the inside. He first hated somebody. And that hatred gave birth to something else. Do you understand? I'm talking to you about being on the inside, being holy. And if you can find a way to be like Christ on the inside, you know what's going to happen? What you do is going to look like things that Christ would do. Now, this is the part that we all like, okay? It really is. But the, the aftermath of this, if I will be holy, and then outwardly it comes, I do holy things, then I'm going to feel holy feelings. That's what everybody wants. Do you know, I think that's what most people in the world are after. They want to feel good. I think that, maybe I'm wrong on this, I think that's why a lot of people will say, I want to get saved, because they want to feel good. They don't understand the depths of salvation. They don't understand what all Christ did for them. They just know there's something they feel bad, they want to get, get rid of that. I feel bad, let me get over that. Let me get past it. I don't want to feel bad anymore. That guilt, that shame, I don't like that feeling. I want a good feeling to take its place, so I'll go to church, and church makes me feel good. I'll do this, and that'll make me feel good. I'll, I'll drink alcohol, alcohol will make me feel good. I'll do these drugs, they'll make me feel good. And what people don't, they're after a feeling. But what they don't understand, if you want to do this God's way, it starts by being holy on the inside, following his command. In your character, in your person, in the quiet of who you are, when nobody's watching, when nobody can read your thoughts, what are you thinking about? And it's a commandment. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God told you, do this because I'm holy. So you start doing, you start being holy on the inside, seeking the Lord, praying. Man, what praying is such a gift that we just set it aside because we can't see the visible, we can't see the fruit of it. What's the use? There's a lot of use. I think there are people that will, they'll knock on doors because they can see a person open the door and they can see fruit. I'm talking to this person. Oh, this person's let me give the gospel. But when it comes to prayer, we don't see anything. We can't see the God we're talking to. We can't tell whether he's listening to us. We can't tell whether what we're praying is what he would want us to be praying for. Because the Bible says we don't even know how to pray. Right? So we don't pray. But prayer is one of the greatest tools that you have to become like the Lord. And we just forsake it. God help us. Do you want to feel holy feelings? Of course we do. 
Nobody says, let, let think about this. There are a lot of people, saved people, I believe they're saved, saved people who are doing right things and they're bitter about it. They, they're mad. You know it's true, right? They're always looking at somebody, well, why are they like that? Okay, well, why do you care what they're doing? That's not us, right? That's none of our business, what they're doing. That's not our family. Well, yeah, but why do they get to do that? You know what that is? You want to do it. And you're mad because you can't do what they're doing. I, th- I really think that's the case most of the time. It's not people saying, well, they're, that's wicked. They shouldn't be doing that. It's, well, why do they get to do that? You're trying to do right things, but with a bitter heart. Can I tell you something? That doesn't count. I, I don't, we could all debate the judgment seat of Christ, because to be honest, there's a lot of stuff about the judgment seat of Christ we don't fully grasp. But here's what I'll tell you. I, I think, I think, that God's going to look at man's motivations at the judgment seat of Christ. I think what he says of what sort the work is, I think God's going to look at the heart behind the work. Okay? That's just, that's just my thoughts. We can debate that some other time. But I, I think the Lord's going to look at our motivation. Why did you do what you did? Why did you sing that song? Why did you hand out that gospel track? Why did you go to church? Why did you give at church? Why, whatever it is you did, why did you do that? Well, because, you know, I wanted, to, you know, I wanted my wife to be satisfied. Not a good reason. I'm glad you're doing it, but not a good reason. Well, I want, you know, I want my husband to be, be happy and content. I want him to think I'm, okay, fine, but that's not a good reason. I want my parents to think, okay, that's not a good enough reason. The reason is because in my heart I want to be like Christ and I want to please Christ. That's why I do what I do. And if you're not doing it for those reasons, you're missing out. You really are. You're missing out on some of the greatest joys. You can't figure out why you're doing the the right thing and not happy about it. Because your heart's wrong. Your heart's wrong. That's just the truth. So many people in our churches today are sitting there with heart problems. That, That can't please God, can it? You think God's satisfied with your heart problems, with my heart problems? You think God's satisfied because I've got a hymnal open, singing songs that I don't even care? I don't think so. I think God wants us all in. I think God wants us all in. God, help help me, help me to do a better job in this thing. Now, I, I want you to think about this with me, okay? Uh, turn with me, if you will. Um, Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, because I think this is where this thing starts. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I think the Lord gave us the answer for how to start this process uh, right there in in the context of our passage. 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, look down with me, if you will. Let's see what I want. I want verse number uh, 15. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 15. The Bible says here, but as he would, no, no, let's move up. Move up to verse number 13. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your, what is it? Your mind. The first thing God told you in this whole thing was to, to gird up the loins of your mind, to get your mind right. And I told you just a few moments ago, and I, and I don't, this is not like some sort of false humility. There are a lot of things in the Bible I really don't understand. 
And I wish I was the kind of guy that could just take somebody else's word for it and run with it and just get up and say it and not care. But it, that eats at me. So there are a lot of times when I'm studying the Bible that I can't come to the dogmatic thing that I wish I could because I'm wrestling with it. I don't know. In my mind, I can't figure out always the difference between the mind and the heart and the soul. Sometimes they seem to be the exact same thing. Sometimes they seem to be different. I don't get it all. But I do know that all that's within me. Okay? That seems too simple, doesn't it? But all that's inside. That part I got. And the Bible just told me that I need to gird up the loins of my mind and be sober and hope to the end. And then he said in verse 15 and 16, he talked about me being holy. So that tells me being holy is connected to getting my mind right. You know, over in the book of Philippians, it talks about think on these things, right? And it gives us a list of things to think about. Do you understand that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? There are so many Bible verses that talk about our minds and getting our minds right. And you know what we do most of the time in Christianity? We bypass the mind. We don't talk about the mind. We don't think about the mind. We don't dwell on the mind because, you know, that's, I don't know, because we can't see it. But that's the part that the Lord told you, if you want to be holy, you're going to have to get your mind right. I, I, I'm... I don't typically just trust people. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. Uh, getting in the ministry didn't help me trust people, okay? But, but here's what I've learned over time. Even if it was just me and my family in a church service, I'm convinced that there is stuff in that room that God would need to fix. This is a congregation bigger than just myself and my family. So I am convinced that there is something in the minds and hearts of some people in this room that is not good. I mean, it is ugly. And if God were to open that thing up for all of us to see, we would be fearful. Okay? Because just because you get saved doesn't mean everything bad about you all of a sudden went away and you're now the perfect person. It's not true. It's not true. So what's going on in your mind right now that's unholy? What are you thinking on? Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's when you're, when you're all alone. What are you thinking about? What's going through your mind? Because if it's unholy, you are practically unholy. You understand that? And you may think you can control it now because it's just in the mind, right? I'll control that. But I guarantee you, if you were to sit down with a serial killer or a serial rapist or something, and you just said, okay, how did it start? How did you get to be the monster that you are today? At some point, I'm telling you the facts, it started in the mind. Somebody thought about something that he or she should not have thought about and didn't kill that thought immediately and let it grow and fester and, and, and grow more and fed it. Maybe put other stuff in there to grow it up some more and eventually the person becomes a monster and people say, man, I didn't see that. My neighbor was the nicest guy ever. You would have never thought he'd have done that. And I'm telling you right now, if you will read your Bible, you will understand that there are people in the Bible who loved God, and yet they did some horrible, horrible things because it got in their minds. Murderers. 
adulterers. I mean, goodness, we'd kick most of these people out of the church. Come on. You wouldn't let David, well, that guy's not going to preach to me. Look at his life. Noah, what in the world did he do? I mean, look, God does all that stuff for him. He goes and gets drunk. What's the deal with that? Because people let stuff get in the mind and then it takes over. You have to crucify your thoughts. You've got to put those things to death. If you want to be holy, it starts in your mind. It starts in your mind. Look with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and, and I've got to be done here in just a few moments. The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I think we're there. I think you'd agree with that. For men should be lovers of their own selves. Oh, man. Wow. The Lord knew, didn't he? People love themselves. Uh, we could spend just a message just on that right there. Let's not do it. He said, for men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So the Bible says these people are wicked, right? They're unholy. They've got, they're disobedient. They're unthankful. All these bad things, right? I mean, these people are awful. Okay, let's keep reading. Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You said, man, you'd know that person coming a mile away. No, you wouldn't. Because look at the next part. Verse number five, having a form of godliness. That's this is people we go to church with. Right? They have a form of it's a shape. It's an appearance of. I would think if the Lord had just stopped at the end of verse number four, I would say, You there's no way you wouldn't know those people, right? It'd be like they'd have a big sign on their forehand, I am wicked. Right? Oh, that guy right there is wicked. Well, how do you know? Because his forehead says he's wicked. I mean, it's a no-brainer. No. These people in our day look, sometimes they have a shape or a form of godliness. It's an outward appearance of righteousness, but inside they are as wicked as can be. That's not your goal, is it? Is that your goal? Is that what your aim is? Would you rather be like Christ or be like the, these people here? Come on, you know better. Having a form of godliness but denying the power of... You know what the Lord said? Look, look what he said in verse number 5, end of the verse. What did he say? From such what? Turn, get away from those people. The Lord says, I don't even want you around them. They look the part. But inside they're wicked. See, this is what I'm telling you, because I'm trying to study. I'm trying to figure out, Lord, help me to understand holiness. Help me to understand godliness. Because, I, I, I mean, I think every one of us in here would say, we want to be holy. Right? Am I, I mean, is that true? I mean, if I said, okay, raise your hand, you want to be holy. Sure, we'd all raise our hands, wouldn't we? I mean, maybe there's a couple of you. I don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me. But, I mean, maybe there's a couple that says, well, I, I guess I'll raise my hand, but I don't really want to be. But for the most part, all of us would say we want to be holy. But it starts in here. And you can't see it when it's starting. Until it starts to work its way out. Because whatever starts in my mind and my inner man eventually works its way to the outside. And now I'm doing the right thing outwardly. 
But I'm doing it with the right spirit because it's what I want to do. Nobody's forcing me. Nobody said, well, you better, you better have the right spirit on the outside. Okay, okay, Lord, I'll do it. No, it's inside of me. This is what I want. That's, that's, that's what we should want. Now, here's the, here's the issue, okay? And I really believe this. The reason why a lot of people don't want holiness or godliness is because it causes problems. It causes problems. The Bible says that uh, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Right? I mean, you think, okay, well, I'm going to live my life in such a way that the world's going to persecute me. This is going to be a blast. Nobody thinks that. Oh, I sure hope they make fun of me for looking like a Christian today. I sure hope on the job when they're telling that nasty joke and I don't understand it. Man, that's going to be a that's going to be a blessing. You know, when they look at me and they say, you don't get it. No. What were you saying? I don't understand what you're you don't get that. No. Why, why would I get that? What does that even mean? You're uh, do you come out of a cave? Oh, man, this is such a blessing. Could you just persecute me some more for this? Really, I, I was thinking this morning when I got up, man, it's going to be a blessing if people at work make fun of me today because I don't understand their worldliness. Come on, we don't think that. So that's why a lot of people say, well, I'm not going to do this because it's going to make me look weird to the world. Well, see, here's the problem. Can I, can I just be blunt with you? That's idolatry. Because that's showing that you're more concerned with what the world thinks about you than you are what God thinks about you. Would you rather have God think you look like you're a problem or you look like you're a mess or would you rather the world think that? You've got to get your priorities. So persecution comes with this. And here's another thing. Go to Galatians 6. This will, I think this will be the last one I, I, I go to. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. The, the problem is holiness kind of cuts you off from the world. It really does. And it kind of cuts the world off from you. And that's an uncomfortable feeling. And as far as the flesh goes, Galatians chapter 6, look at verse number 14. The Bible says here, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to notice this last uh, set of phrases. By whom the world is crucified unto me. So the cross of Christ. When I fully surrender myself to walk with Christ and, and in my, my inner being, I'm striving for holiness. I'm allowing God to work that in my heart. And it's manifesting itself on the outside. The cross of Christ will crucify the world unto me. I look at the world and I go, I mean, what's the big deal, right? Surely since you got saved, you can look back and you say, I remember some things that were really, really, really important to me. And now I don't care anymore. Yep. Amen. What happened? Something got crucified. Amen. Christ, and I'm not, Christ got crucified, sure. But when I live, uh, I, I let the faith of Christ live through me, now I look at the world and say, that's crucified to me. But here's the backside of that, and this is what we don't typically like. In verse number 14. By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The same disdain or inability to be in awe of the world. Now the world looks at me and says, you don't impress us. We don't care whether you live or whether you die. You're really just taking up space and sometimes you annoy us. Right? Right? You get out there on the street corner, you hold up scripture signs, 
that annoys us. Could you not do that? Okay? When you, when you come to our houses and you hand us a guy and you ask us, you know, where you're going to go, and you, that bothers us. You know, when you don't laugh at our jokes, that's annoying. You're weird, right? Now, all of a sudden, because I'm striving to let God live through me, in me, through me, outwardly, I don't fit anymore. And that's uncomfortable. And so I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I think we try to get people signed on the dotted line to do stuff in the Christian life who don't want to be signed on the dotted line. I'm not going to try to do that. What I'm going to tell you is God called you to live a holy life. Amen. That starts in your mind. It eventually works itself out into your deeds. And if you do it the right way, beautiful, holy feelings are going to come as a result. But you may not want that. You may not. You may want to just keep going through the motions of showing up at church, read a few verses here, read a few verses there, pray a little prayer here, pray a little prayer there, sing a little song here, sing a little song there, show up for a few special events. You may want to do it that way. And if you do, that's your call. But don't be surprised that God's not pleased with that. Because if God gave us his all on Calvary, we owe him everything. Amen. Everything. God help us. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray, I pray that you'd help our minds to be receptive of your word this evening. Lord, we need you. And God, there is a, there's a shortage of Christians who are striving to live like Christians. There's a shortage of people who desire to live holy and to be holy. And God, it's not crowded. It's certainly not crowded. It would be a blessing maybe if one or two more people decided here this week they were going to crucify their thoughts, put those things to death, surrender them to you and start being holy on the inside. Lord, it would be a blessing to see what, what could happen, what could be done in a person's life that did that. But God, we can't do this without you. It's your command. You told us to obey it, but we can't do it without the help of your spirit living in us. Thank you for enabling us and equipping us to do what you told us to do. Now help us to follow through. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.